All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you here from New York City on the 26th day of December 2017. Of course, this will be our last show uh, for this year. Before I talk more about today's show, let me remind you that I am the editor of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And that you can subscribe to my letter by going to miningstocks.com or call our office in New York during normal work hours, 718-457-1426. Again, the website is miningstocks.com. You can go there also to pick up on a lot of interesting articles that uh, that I read and, and think are worthy of passing along, as well as keeping up with the stocks, uh, the news for the stocks that are in my portfolio uh, and in my newsletter. I would uh, also encourage you to consider subscribing to Chen Lin's letter. Um, ChenPicks.com is where you need to go for that. Chen has done an extraordinary job of building wealth for uh, his uh, for his family uh, in trading, and uh, a lot of great, very interesting ideas. And I'm expecting that Chen is going to be with me next week to talk about some of the exciting ideas he has as we head into the new year. I uh, do want to thank you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also, want to thank you. Um, and, and encourage you to send along questions, comments, criticisms, and praises to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Uh, this week, our sponsors are New Range Gold Corp, Bonterra Resources, Aron Resources, Novo Resources, and Genesis Metals Corp. Well, before I get into today's show, let me make a few comments regarding Novo Resources. It's a company that is a sponsor to this show and a company whose stock remains the largest holding in my personal portfolio, though I have now trimmed it back to around 20% of my portfolio. That's down from a high of 66% when the stock was trading at around $7 U.S., Last Thursday, management put out a press release that resulted in the stock getting hit very hard, despite a couple of bulk samples that appeared to be reasonably good, though nothing like the initial bulk sample that scored over two ounces of gold per ton. Well, the stock plummeted from around $4 in U.S. money to slightly under $3 on that news. Then on Friday of last week, as well as uh, today, it fell still further as we were getting ready to go on the air now, um, just a few minutes ago, it was trading at U.S. $2.70. Well, there are a couple of reasons that I can think of as to why the stock has been hit so hard. First, after the initial bulk samples not only revealed uh, an assay of over two ounces per ton, uh, the, the first bulk sample also hinted that there may be disseminated gold throughout the matrix, 
If that were, in fact, uh, proven to be true, it would have meant that a more normal drill program might have been able to prove up an economic deposit much more quickly and less expensively uh, than if uh, it was purely a nugget play, a gold nugget play. Unfortunately, recent work has strongly suggested that disseminated gold occurs only very, very close to individual nuggets and not throughout the matrix. So that presents a uh, a sampling issue, which uh, was something that Dr. Quentin Henning always understood would be there. Uh, there was the hope, however, disseminated gold might reduce that uh, that risk. The other thing that I think of uh, very quickly that seems to be uh, standing out is that the um, the geometry of the gold-bearing structures, it may be that the gold-bearing structures are not as thick as perceived, thus uh, requiring more mining dilution than previously thought. In other words, if you have 17 grams per ton, maybe until you mine the material above or and or below that that uh, gold-bearing structure, you may be looking at something like four or five grams per ton. It could still be economic. We just, you know, it, it's just there's just so much unknown, and you know, this is really all of this is really conjecture because it's still very very early in the process of uh, of exploring. Uh, this uh, very, very unusual deposit. And uh, I have an interview scheduled for Dr. Quentin Henning tomorrow uh, at around 11 o'clock New York time, and it will be aired to my subscribers uh, as early as tomorrow or tomorrow afternoon. I'm going to send out an email to my subscribers and let them know uh, the, uh, that they can go to the website at Mining Stocks uh, or at uh, J. Taylor Media and listen to this. Uh, interview with Dr. Henning. As soon as we're able to get that posted, we will do so. Uh, those of you listening to the show who may not be subscribers, uh, if you send along your email to questionsfortaylor@gmail.com, questionsfortaylor@gmail.com, send your email along there and also request to hear the uh, interview with Dr. Henning. Well, I've titled today's show "The Biggest Economic Risk for 2018." Um, a T-bond collapse? Question mark. Michael Pento visits for the first time, and Michael Oliver returns as well. In his December 8, 2017 missive, Michael Oliver's momentum work declared the big market event of 2018 is likely to be a collapse in the U.S., German, and Japanese government bonds. Oliver derives his views from his stoic momentum and structural analysis approach to markets, I think uh, uh, very much non-emotional. And I should think uh, that my main guest today, Michael Pento, must have a similar view from a fundamental uh, perspective. I'm saying that judging from the title of his book titled The Coming Bond Market Collapse. So Pento believes the biggest financial bubble of all time will ultimately collapse and wreak havoc on the global financial markets and the lives of those who are not expecting it. If a bond market collapse is imminent, is it likely to happen next year? What will be the Fed's response, and what might that mean for the dollar's value and inflation? What role might China's growing disdain for the dollar play in the global capital markets? And how should investors respond to rising rates? Those and many more questions will be asked of Michael Pento. But right now, we have to take a commercial break. But don't go away because Michael Oliver will be with us uh, to share his latest views on some of the most important markets to us. We'll be right back with Michael Oliver.
Orin Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Orin is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really glad to have Michael Oliver with me again as we round out 2017. And uh, that website that you should all go to, consider subscribing to Michael's letter. It's olivermsa.com, olivermsa.com. Welcome, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Always good to have you back. I just have to ask you about Bitcoin. Its exponential rise seems to be thwarted, at least for the time being. What what are your uh, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin? Well, our thoughts were, uh, and we were very fortunate. The Wall Street Journal even picked up on them um, before mm-hmm. the future started trading, which was last week. Uh, we said, wait for the futures to start trading because it, not so much technically speaking, because Bitcoin doesn't have that much history, and it's hard mm-hmm. for us to do technical analysis of something that basically is it, it, it's an infant. Okay, it, it doesn't even have DNA yet, but. I remembered when gold was legalized. It had had a multi-year bull market in the early 70s from $35. It was reaching 200 as it was legalized in the U.S. in 1975. And as soon as it was legalized, it topped. And it suffered a year and a half downside and about a 50% correction before it then reasserted itself into a massive bull market. But sure enough, last week, Bitcoin... Um, uh, we took a, a cash chart for, I think, a Bitfinex was the most liquid of the cash exchanges. There's a lot of quotes out there. And when, then we stuck on the Chicago Merck price action last week. Well, the Chicago Merck 
took over where uh, Bitfinex had ended in just short of 20,000. Shot up to, I think, 20,600, something like that, and collapsed yeah. to 12,200. <laughs> closed out the week, uh, I think, at 14,000 or so. So, but the, from high to the low of the week last week was 40, over 40% drop. Wow. So it couldn't have been more, sort of, so to speak, reflective of gold, but even then more so. Why? Because there was a venue for people who might want to short it, to short it in a way that they could feel comfortable, know it's a, a mechanism that works, it's a surefire thing, you know, the futures market, uh, and so forth. So that, that brought in the other side, the guys who said, listen, this has gone too far. Um, now the question is what happens in the future, and I don't know. There's not a lot of technical history for us to develop trend behavior off of, to study the momentum of. Anything we do would be short-term, pretty much. And I suspect that in the long run it will survive. Uh, one or more of them will survive as you know, valid alternatives to fiat currencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that yeah. therefore it's... It's a wake-up call, so to speak, that uh, especially the young generation, you know, the millennials, have just discovered that you don't have to be a government to have a money uh, a medium of exchange. <laughs> yeah. So, which is a, a rude uh, awareness for a lot of people, uh, especially the central bankers. So if uh, these things take root over the next few years in terms of uh, percentage of global transactions that occur with uh, cryptocurrencies, they become a threat to... Uh, the monopoly currencies. So yeah. uh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, it sure will be. I mean, I'm, I'm sure uh, one of the things that Bitcoin can do is move wealth, move move money around uh, yeah. uh, and do it with less friction. Um, and so you eliminate the middleman, and I can understand why the banks bankers might be nervous wanting to get a piece mm-hmm. of that action, if not own it completely. But uh, we shall hope that they're not successful, at least that's my editorial viewpoint. Um, well, that's, that's interesting that this is uh, almost the same kind of decline percentage-wise as gold had back in, uh, you know, when it that's shot up to 850. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, exactly, and, and gold was uh, more protracted, as I, although it yeah. was, as I recall, very vividly, a very, a very uh, fast, rapid smackdown, too, from 850. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just, at 850, only very briefly. Uh, so very well, interesting, that's, that's though, because the, that's the next bull market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was talking about the one that peaked in '75 at 200 bucks, and it yeah. came down to 103. That was, a, but it peaked when futures were legalized, and that that made sense. You know, if you sure. I can look at it. But uh, meanwhile, gold's doing doing good this week. Um, yeah. Uh, we're gonna, had, we're gonna. I think we're gonna get. We're gonna see you for the third time this year, very possibly, Michael. You uh, well, you called that within a whisker. You came within a whisker of your line in the sand two times before, bounced off, and never never had to go neutral. And it looks like maybe you're gonna. That's gonna happen again. Yeah, I think this week sort of put its elbow up over the shoulder of uh, the, the curb stone, and I think that the sell off you, you saw over the last uh, month or so is over. The issue now is, well, what does it do now, and at what speed? And we'll be doing a lot of work that on the, uh, this weekend, especially because we get a lot of new numbers. It's the end of the year. It's the end of the quarter. Mm-hmm. A lot of numbers change, and we'll do a lot of reassessing of some of the major markets, including gold. Though I suspect gold is uh, the most obvious level now is a price-based level. It's around 1350 uh, Anybody with a crayon and a ruler can plot a monthly price chart or a weekly going back years. So you go back three or four years, and you'll find there's a gradual line of resistance that comes through such that if you'll close a week out, about 1350 you've cleared it. And then the price crowd will wake up and say, hey, it's a bull market. <laughs> uh, 
the momentum well, crowd or our, our folks uh, knew it was a bull market in early 2016. But it, it's it's done its typical congestion stuff after its first major surge off of its bare lows. It went into a lot of volatile congestion and it shook a lot of people out, and uh, that's good because uh, that means that the market's leaner and meaner. Uh, it doesn't have so many weak longs in it now. Yeah, and, uh, good. Hopefully, a lot of folks got stopped out. Good entry point, probably, yeah. for those that aren't in it. Makes it healthier. Yeah, indeed. Um, well, you're going to be having a lot of new material uh, coming out, as you say, the end of the year, end of the quarter, etc. cetera. Uh, and uh, it's OliverMSA.com, folks, to learn more and, and catch up with Michael and subscribe to his letter. I'm looking forward, Michael, to, to talking to you next week uh, as well about some of these major trends, your plate tectonics, so to speak. Uh, how you see the markets uh, evolving as we go into the new year, and I guess that's a good time to reflect on it after you have all the annual annual numbers, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So and the numbers change. Yep. So, so you you've been calling for a bull market and uh, all year and year last year even uh, for commodities. You've seen the the, the turning point, uh, and copper right now looks particularly strong. Um, I saw it was three twenty eight a pound before we went on the air. Uh, how do you see copper, and how do you see well, uh, Freeport uh, McMoran? You you recently done some work on Freeport McMoran. Well, we we uh, like Freeport in the fourteens. I think it's now eighteen something. Uh, in two weeks, it did more on the upside than the S and P did all year. Uh, wow. <clears throat> anyway, that's what the nature of uh, overly suppressed markets, <laughs> which is true with a lot of commodities. Now, copper fits in the category of with oil, where the percent recovery from the lows has been substantial already. Not that it can't go a lot further, but this percent recovery has been very strong. We turned bullish on copper at two dollars and twenty-four cents in November last year, and like you said, it's a dollar above there now, which is a, a nice move. Uh, but next year, I think that the real big power move is going to come out of the grains, yeah, corn beans, uh, corn beans, and uh, wheat. And I think by power move, I mean the initial breakout, and it's not far away from levels right now. That if you're there. In 2018, in soybeans, corn, and wheat, just uh, we've got specific numbers uh, not far above the current market. That the first whoosh out of the holes for these markets could be of the uh, about 40 percent, and we think it could be rapid and uh, like a thin air rally, you know, where it just unleashes, it changes its nature, and that on a percent basis, I think that may be the most exciting place to be next year once our numbers are triggered in terms of one speed of the move and the percent of the move. Um, mm-hmm. And that combination should be quite headline-grabbing. Uh, and also we'll broaden out the commodity upside that we've seen this past year, which we saw in oil, we've seen in copper, seen it in gold, and so forth. But uh, when you take the food commodities, and I would throw cattle in there too, uh, you throw them upstairs, suddenly you've got a, a full chorus. You, you don't just have half the markets moving up taking the Bloomberg Commodity Index up, but uh, you've got the full full force, and I think that's about to happen. Yeah, um, well, certainly if the commodity complex continues to rise, especially the food items and so forth, those are, those are things that really come into play in the uh, CPI, the government's numbers. Uh, it, it would seem to go well with your other viewpoint uh, concerning the, the, um, the interest rates. And the debt markets, right? You're seeing right. debt I, markets I next year. In fact, the charts, if you look at an annual momentum chart of, uh, let's say, the German bonds or the Japanese government bonds, 
and they look equally as ripe to collapse as the grains do to explode. Uh, and the, the fact that they're both postured in the same way, equals and opposites, almost makes the point. It's, it's when the food commodities go up, suddenly it becomes obvious. Uh, you know, people can ex- uh, ignore a copper rise because they don't eat, eat copper. <laughs> but when all of a sudden the price of uh, grains goes up 40% in the heartbeat, uh, first leg, that is, uh, and, and so forth, then it gets your attention, uh, globally speaking. It gets the public attention and government's attention, which puts a, uh, you know, it's a shen kick to the bond markets, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. The excuse that, well, we need to get some inflation before we can, uh, well, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be careful what you ask for, right? Yeah, and be careful uh, what you ask for. Yeah. Well, well, for sure. Uh, on, on the commodity play, I mean, uh, one ETF that you've talked about before, and I think you've just recently done some more work on it, is MOO, M-O-O is a symbol. I guess it's mm-hmm. uh, what it's uh, agricultural it's, uh, chemicals yeah, agricultural as well as industry, grains. That's the beauty yeah. of it. And it has really yeah. launched this year. We, we uh, went long at the same time we went long EEM, the emerging markets, back in January. And Moo has had a heck of a move. I can't tell you exact percent right now, but Moo is comprised of not the commodities themselves, but companies that uh, service the agricultural industry, everything from Monsanto to the fertilizer companies, uh, even Deer Tractor and so forth. But things are related to servicing the agricultural industry. Uh, and these stocks didn't wait for grains to take off before they went up. They had a big move this year. And mm-hmm. I think it's, a, in effect, a, a forestatement of what you know, some investors see is what's coming in the grains themselves. I think it's a forewarning. So, uh, yeah, we, we like that sector of the stock market, and we think uh, you could probably be long the move, the agricultural industry stocks, as a basket, although we like the fertilizer stocks more, particularly potash, which we went long a while ago, uh, mm-hmm. and be short the S&P simultaneously and make good money on the spread. Mm-hmm. You know, where oh. you're effectively market neutral, so, so to speak, but... Uh, uh, you're betting on the difference widening where Moo is favored and S&P is disfavored. Right, so you could buy Moo and sell S, uh, and buy SH, I suppose. ETFs, yeah, that'd right. be one simple that's way to play it. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, I'm looking, at, I'm looking at Moo now, and I see it was uh, trading uh, starting the year, about, a, I guess this is a 52-week range here. Mm-hmm. It was at 51.09 a year ago. It's at 61.54 now, so pretty good right. move. You think it still has a lot more to it, possibly? I think it does, but it, it, will re, it, it will have downside with the market because it is part of the market, so to speak. It's not totally separate. Therefore, if the S&P dropped, though, you know, 7 8% at some point, which we actually kind of think might happen in the first quarter, uh, I wouldn't be shocked that the move pulls back, you know, about half of that. But again, mm-hmm. what you're betting on here at this point in time is not the net trend to move, but the spread relationship. The spread, right. These stocks, just simply, if the S&P goes into a bear market, I don't just mean a quick correction, but an actual bear market, that move resists quite well, and mm-hmm. especially so once the grains get moving. At that sure. point, it'll give move even more uh, solidity, if you know what I mean. So uh, I, I like that as a spread right now. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Michael, with about a, a minute left, just uh, getting back to uh, Freeport-McMoran, uh, do you think that one has uh, got yeah, some I, more I on the it's upside? It's made quite a move already a this year. The easy money's already been made, perhaps. No, no, I don't think so. I think uh, the breakout you just had that took you up to 18 plus uh, from our breakout point was 14 on momentum, and you've just surged to 18 rapidly. Uh, I looked at it uh, this morning, uh, and again, and with an attempt to come up with an idea of where might its first major objective be. 
And I could easily see it, seeing a double from here mm-hmm. before you do right. anything sub- substantial in terms of resistance. Uh, in the next six months or a year, well, perhaps? Well, I don't know about that, but in the next year or so. I, you know, and, okay. I, and that is a stock I would not treat as uh, coincident with the S&P. While the move might back up with the S&P to some extent, spread still work favoring the move, I think that something like freeport would, would would even care what the S&P is doing. Yeah, uh, could be. It's time. got gold and copper both. So. Yes, right. We'll have to leave it go at that, Michael. Thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you next week if you're available and um, yes, give sure. your outlook for 2018 on the major plate tectonics. So thanks again Thank for being great. with us. Always a pleasure Thank having you, you, Michael. All right, folks. Well, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Michael Pento will be with us. He believes, I think uh, you'll find a lot of agreement with, uh, with Michael Oliver, Pento's view that we're heading to much higher interest rates and uh, much higher rates of inflation that go along with it are very much in tune with Michael Oliver's views as well. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Pento. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Novo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold Project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Bonterra Resources, a Canadian exploration company, is aggressively expanding its high-grade Gladiator Gold deposit in Quebec, Canada. In 2017, Bonterra raised $40 million and attracted strategic investors Eric Sprott, Kinross, Kirkland Lake Gold, and New York-based Van Egg Gold Fund. Bonterra is focused on updating its 43-101 resource model in 2018 and will incorporate up to an additional 100,000-plus meters of drilling where the dimensions of the Gladiator Gold Deposit has been expanded to date nearly 500%. Bonterra trades in Canada under the symbol BTR and in the U.S. under BONXF. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me for the first time Michael Pento. Michael is the president and founder of Pento Portfolio Strategies. He is a well-established specialist in the Austrian School of Economics and a regular guest on CNBC, Bloomberg, Fox Business News, and other national media outlets. In fact, in preparation for my discussion with Michael today, I viewed his recent interview with our good friend, Dr. Ron Paul. Michael also produces the uh, the weekly podcast, the Midweek Reality Check, and uh, 
that, and he's also the author of a book, which I haven't read yet, but I'm definitely going to. It's called The Coming Bond Market Collapse, and I hope I get it read before that happens. Let me strongly suggest that you visit Michael's uh, website at pentoport.com to keep up with uh, with his work, and uh, because I think it's very very valuable. He does see the world through the lens of an Austrian economist, and um, as regular listeners of this show know. I believe that is very, very important because I think the Austrians come the closest of anyone to describing the economic world the way it really is as opposed to the rose-colored glass view of our Keynesian uh, economist. I don't want to call them friends because I don't know, know that they are. But anyway, Michael, you are a friend. Thank you so much for joining me today. A friend and a brother. Thanks for having me on, Jay. Absolutely. Well, you know, before we get started, I do want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about your firm and what services you offer and, and what might be available to people, uh, you know, to take advantage of, of your insights into the markets. Well, first of all, I'm a RIA, so I manage money for a living. I have a proprietary model called the Inflation Deflation Strategic Portfolio. Basically, the premise there is that we have reached a level of debt in this world that requires that it's defaulted upon either through inflation, money printing, or deflation, an explicit restructuring. And that means that we are doomed to either suffer through a period of deflation, which by the way, I think would be very healthy and the sooner it happens, the better off we're going to be as Americans. But if we suffer through deflation or an explicit restructuring of the debt, that's a totally different dynamic in which to invest through. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, I think we're going to suffer through massive inflation first before we resign ourselves to taking our real medicine. And that, of course, is a totally different construct than how you invest a portfolio. So that's the basis and the progenitor of, of the inflation-deflation dynamic portfolio. It's proprietary. I created it. It's working very well for us here at the Penta Portfolio Strategies. Also, we have a podcast. It's a very nominal fee, forty nine ninety nine a year. You can go to the website and see it's uh, pentaport.com. You can email me directly, mpento at pentaport.com, and the office number here is 732-772-9500 if you'd like to speak to me about how you can avoid getting your assets crushed for the third time since the year 2000. And I say crushed, I mean probably north of 50%, and that's being uh, conservative. Yeah, I would guess. I mean, it's certainly the 2008-2009 event, uh, a lot of people saw that happen uh, of, of that magnitude. So if uh, if I read you right, another Austrian economist, probably things are worse now by far than they were at that time in terms of the total debt and so forth. Well, anyway, mm-hmm. uh, m- I want to get into the discussion uh, for today then, which really has to do with this whole issue that, you're just, that you just talked about, uh, but in more detail. Michael Oliver, who for me personally is the most helpful technical analyst that I've ever used. He's also an Austrian, by the way, but he relies on technical analysis, his own proprietary work. He's convinced that the big event for 2018 will be the demise of the so-called safe government bonds, like the German Bund, mm. Japanese government bonds, and the 30-year U.S. T-bond. So I've not, you know, as I say, I haven't had a chance to read your book yet, though as, a, as an Austrian, I have a pretty good idea of what, what I will expect to, to read there. <laughs> But but from what I have read about about your book, I, I'm guessing that you probably, or you might very well agree that 2018 might be a rough year for sovereign debt markets. I think it's going to be the finally uh, the year where reality check hits the markets. So we have um, constructed a, a situation where 
The total debt since the year 2008 has increased by $70 trillion globally. And when I wrote the book in the latter part of 2012 and early 2013 when it was published, I never imagined, Jay, that sovereign governments could issue debt and get paid for doing so. Mm. And interest rates were already low, but they weren't negative. At one point, we had $14 trillion worth of negative yielding sovereign debt in the world. And you think about that happening you know, in history, it's never before occurred, and it probably never will again. Uh, not only that, you have a condition where the Federal Reserve in 2018 will be selling $50 billion worth of bonds per month, and they will sell. You know, people say that the Fed doesn't really sell, they just unwind. Well, the Treasury is going to ask them, well, I mean, you're not buying my bonds anymore, so I have to then sell $50 billion worth of bonds per month to the public instead of paying the Federal Reserve and having that interest credited back to the Treasury. So we have a situation in 2018 where central banks are pulling away their stimuli, and that stimulus was $120 billion worth of money printing every month. It's going from $120 billion to zero by October of 2018. And the only central bank in the bond printing business at that time is going to be the Bank of Japan. So reality is going to hit the, the, the bond market. And when you say, for example, you mentioned Germany, the German boon currently yields 0.4%. Now, how in the world do you have a bond that yields 0.4% when nominal GDP is 4% in the 10-year, by the way, that's the 10-year German Bund. Uh -huh. Nominal GDP is north of 4%. The central banks around the world have adopted a 2% inflation target. Mario Draghi, the head of the ECB, is having his QE come January from 60 to 30 billion and getting out probably between October and December of next year. How the heck can you have a bond, a boond yield, a German boond 10-year yield of 0.4%? Now, that yield is most likely going to shoot up, and it's not going to be gradually done and seamlessly occurring as the Federal Reserve and the ECB and the BOJ and the PBOC would like you to believe. Interest rates could violently spike in 2018, and if that's the case, that's a very cogent scenario. If that's the case, and they spike on the additional $70 trillion, it's now $230 trillion in global debt. When, you, when borrowing costs spike across the, the fixed income spectrum in 2018, we will surely pop the bond bubble by definition, and you will surely pop the, the global equity bubble and that's going to bring on, a, I, I'm afraid, uh, a global depression, the likes of which we've never seen before. But I will quickly like to be positive and add that that is exactly the cathartic rebalancing that absolutely needs to occur. For sure. But uh, why wouldn't the, the Fed and other central banks not do what they've always done in these circumstances, and that is create just go out and do that much more uh, QE? Well, I think they will. I, I think they will, Jay. But central banks do what they always do first, which, was, which is invert the yield curve. And if they invert the yield curve, they're already, already on the way doing it with 243 basis points about a year and a half ago. Now it's mm -hmm. just 60 basis points to spread between the 10 and the two-year note. Uh, we have in the Fed's dot plot uh, we have at least three more rate hikes in 2018 mm -hmm. 
uh, scheduled, that most likely is going to bring the Fed funds rate above the 10-year note. <laughs> and if that's the case, so here's, here's the dynamic. Either you invert the yield curve, you cut off the credit channel, asset prices tumble, and you have a, a recession. Like, like that is what always occurs. Or alternatively, because of all the things I mentioned, well, we have growth that's supposedly accelerating, synchronized global growth, inflation is rising towards the Fed's 2% target, the ECB is cutting its QE program in half, the Fed is raising rates three times next year, the Fed will be selling $50 billion come October in bonds. Um, it's possible that yields could just absolutely become unglued and spike higher. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, see, the entire construct of the artificial edifice built by central banks is that yields are going to be very volatile. They are either going to invert the yield curve mm-hmm. or there's going to be a collapse in bond prices sending yields soaring. One of those two things is almost guaranteed to, to occur, and they both yield a global recession slash depression. Hmm. You indicated a moment ago that you believe that inflation will precede deflation. Uh, so, yes. so, so do you see? Let's so, so right now they're they're increasing the ra- the rates are increasing. Whether whether those whether that's really the Fed's doing, or whether the markets are demanding it, I would like your, your what is your what is well, your thought I'll, on I'll that? Comment, I'll, I'll comment on that, Jay. So, you said the rates are increasing. The yields are increasing on the short end of the yield curve, not yeah. on the long end. Okay. The the first rate the first rate hike occurred from the Federal Reserve, if you remember, on this in December of two thousand fifteen. And the yield on the 10-year treasury was about 2.4% at that time. Mm-hmm. Well, the yield on the 10-year treasury after five rate hikes is, guess what? 2.4%. So uh, the, the long end of the yield curve says, yeah, great. Um, I'm glad you're start, uh, finally starting to reverse policy and, and fighting the inflation you've created in asset prices. But I think, I believe, the, the, the 10-year note is telling you, longer duration bonds are telling you, that a recession slash depression is on its way and mm-hmm. the Fed is hiking into that, into that slower growth. And the reason why they're hiking isn't because we have some kind of you know, massive in, uh, breakout in consumer price inflation. And they're not hiking rates because of uh, some, some runaway GDP growth, as if there ever could be such a thing as runaway GDP growth. They're <laughs> hiking rates because they need to get further away from zero so they have some bullets in the chamber to fire once the next recession commences. So right now we have 125 or 150 basis points that we can take away to combat the next recession and to get asset prices into another bubble. <laughs> but uh, in, in 2007, we had 525 basis points. Mm-hmm. And by the way, in 2007, the Fed's balance sheet was $800 billion, not $4.5 trillion. Yep. So, uh, so they have much less uh, capabilities at this point. I mean, they could take back their, their uh, rate increases. They could go back into QE. But if they do so, uh, I'll just say this to you, Jay. If they were to do that now, let's just say the next recession becomes manifest in the middle of 2018 and the Federal Reserve starts taking back their rate hikes and goes back to QE. I mean, wouldn't the bond market, wouldn't, wouldn't the holders of fiat currency agree that the Federal Reserve and central banks could never normalize interest rates if yeah. they can only get to one and a half mm-hmm. or maybe one and three quarters percent of the Fed funds rate? Would it be a commonplace to assent by the market that we will never go back 
yeah. to uh, a normal a normalized construct of interest rates. And right. that means that people will lose faith in the fiat currency regime, and that would be wonderful for precious metals, not cryptocurrencies, precious metals. Okay, I want to get into cryptocurrencies before we complete our discussion oh today. Boy. But, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in any event, uh, so let me just understand you. So what we're facing now probably in 2018, if Michael... Oliver is right. If if you're right, and we start to see interest rates spiking up, I mean, eventually, and, and it makes sense to me that the long end of the yield curve isn't isn't responding because the market is looking out there and saying things aren't that good, rates aren't rising because the economy is wonderful, rates are rising because the Fed is pulling back a little bit of money out of the system, uh, and and so, um, but so it seems like what we could see then is a replay of 2008-2009 this year that would send prices of everything plummeting just as it did in 2008-2009 because when the margin clerk calls you have to sell what you're able to sell and I think that's one of the reasons that gold took such a hit initially but then of course it was very strong after the initial decline but but do you see then possibilities of a deflation this year a deflation in the sense that prices across the board all manner of prices equities commodities housing everything collapses with this bond market spike well first of all gold got hurt in 2008 yes it was part of a margin call but it was also part of a uh, dollar US dollar repatriation uh, effect so okay. if you remember back in 2006 we had the BRIC trades Brazil, Russia, India, yes. China where people were borrowing borrowing in dollars and investing in higher yielding currencies Yes. well when it, when it became obvious that we were having a global recession that was becoming uh, manifest, what did you have to do? You had to close out that carry trade, which required you to sell Brazilian currencies and the Russian currency and mm -hmm. the Indian currency and repatriate those currencies into dollars. That's yeah. the dollar rising, which caused, which was a big factor in causing gold to fall, at least initially in between August and, uh, say, uh, March of 2000, August 2008 and March 2009. And that is not the case today. If anything, you have the reverse of that, where people are piling into dollars to get the higher yield here, mm -hmm. and rather than owning, you know, uh, uh, yield uh, sovereign bonds in other countries. So mm -hmm. you don't have that effect. But you asked me if you could have a, a deflationary effect. Well, the total market cap. This is one of my favorite indicators. It's uh, also the favorite indicator of Warren Buffett. The total market cap of equities as a percentage of the economy now stands at an eye-popping 143 percent. Wow. Uh, that has never before happened outside of a very short few weeks in, guess what, late 1999 and yeah. early 2000. <laughs> yeah. So, the, by the way, the normal ratio is, is 50%. Yeah. And if you, look at if you look at global asset values as a percent of worldwide GDP, that figure is now three and a half times. Wow. So global asset values, which is most primarily stocks and bonds, three and a half times Incredible. global, global income. In 1980, that ratio was 1.1, 110% of, wow. of the world economy. So that's how, you know, when you ask me, you say, well, are we going to have a deflation in asset prices? We're going to have an absolute crash. And if you add to that, by definition, the crash in bond prices, which is going to be caused by inflation or through central bank actions, they do that themselves if they raise interest rates, mm -hmm. um, and you add the record value in real estate prices, you have a bubble in everything right now. Yes. Con concurrently, and they will they will crash concomitant fashion in 2018 is my belief to 
towards October, when we get to the point where central banks go from manipulating yield curves, manipulating bond prices across the globe, in a massive fashion, they printed $15 trillion since the Great Recession. They're, go, they're going from, as I said before, $120 billion per month to zero. When that occurs, you're going to have mar- real markets price sovereign debt, and real markets will begin to price the asset prices of stocks and real estate, and that's when the crash really comes. The um, Jim Rickards, who we've had on the show, has talked about you know the next time there's nobody left, basically the central banks will be in such bad shape that they won't be able to, to bail anyone out. That the only the only thing standing will be the IMF, and the IMF then mm. will will look to pull together, you know, into sort of a one world, I guess SDR currency SDR, or something like that. Yes. Yeah, do you, yeah. Do you see that as a possibility? Uh, I, I see it as a possibility. I, I don't put a lot of credence to that. I, I, I mean, if you don't trust central banks anymore, you're going to trust Madame Lagarde. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're going to see a, an eschewment of global fiat currencies. And I think that's going to drive people back into gold and demand that their money is backed by uh, specie once again. And, I, and again, I don't mean Bitcoin. I don't mean Ethereum or Litecoin or any of these other uh, make pretend forms of money. I mean gold. And the reason why people love gold so much is because it's virtually indestructible and extremely rare. There are not many elements that uh, you could say that about and have shown to maintain their purchasing power for 5,000 years. And now with the modern invention of the internet um, and private blockchains, you can move gold around the world virtually instantly at very low costs. In fact, almost zero costs. Yes. So uh, uh, the, fact, the fact that gold doesn't make a very good currency, you can't lug around bars of gold. That used to be true. Gold is perfect money, but not a perfect currency. Well, now it's perfect money and a perfect currency thanks to uh, companies such as uh, Gold Money, which is a company I, I own here in the portfolio. Yes, okay, I'm glad to hear that because I own some shares of Gold Money as well. I've known the company for, well, of course, Gold Money, uh, old, the old Gold Money, James Turk's company, which then was Bit, merged Bitgold, with yeah. Bitgold. Uh, the two of them now are combined into Gold Money. And it seems brilliant to me, uh, Michael, because it, it, it is marrying the, the old, one of the oldest, if not the oldest form of money with the newest form of money, if you consider a blockchain money. It certainly is a transportation device that can move money around without so much friction as you have in the banking system. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's the, got the bankers a little bit worried, this, this technology, that they may lose some, some business? Or do you think they'll try to grab a hold of the technology and use it themselves? Which leads me to still another thought, this whole idea of cashless society Mm. And, uh, well, <laughs> and and bit and and chips uh, in place in our bodies uh, that oh my gosh. all those topics are things that are swimming around I, in my head and, and worrying me somewhat. I think I read about something like that in the Bible. Yeah. So, um, but but uh, but anyway, um, so I have my own. I'm not one Jay to embrace conspir- conspiracy theories sure. with alacrity, but I can tell you this: that the creators of of Bitcoin, this this this. Uh, uh, person uh, Satoshi Nakamoto or whoever mm-hmm. this uh, person who no one can find and they're not really sure it even exists. I think <laughs> the creators of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are 
governments and central banks. That's uh-huh. what I think created uh-huh. Bitcoin. And I think they did so for a reason is they want to get the citizens of this world used to using uh, digital currency. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to ban physical cash. And I think the reason why they're going to do this, it's a nefarious reason, I think because they understand that central bankers have very limited power to uh, create inflation after this next recession slash depression mm-hmm. ensues, I think they're going to go to something called negative interest rates. And negative interest rates are a way to rob your purchasing power without you having any possibility of escaping the loss of your purchasing power. Mm-hmm. And they, that can only be done once you abolish cash. Mm-hmm. So, And they can't really abolish cash unless the public gets used to owning these cryptocurrencies and using them for commerce mm-hmm. to buy goods and service with. And if that is, that's the case after the next recession comes and it becomes a depression and asset prices are tumbling and they're running out of ways to, uh, engender asset bubbles, bring them back up the way they did in 2009. The best way they can do that is a combination of negative interest rates, universal ba- basic income and helicopter money. So if you use those three things, then they will be able to create all the inflation they want to, and there's nothing you can do about it except own gold. All right. Uh, help me understand how that will help. Then uh, we can have gold in an account like gold money. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I'm doing that now to a certain extent. I take uh, fiat money and I buy a little bit of gold and I put it in gold money which I can, by the way, if I choose to, use through my gold money credit card. It's a, a debit right. card, I should say, prepaid right. debit card. You can monetize your gold instantly if right. you so desire. Right. And so it allows we, you to... Go ahead. Yeah, so we know that, that the dollar and all fiat currencies are losing purchasing power over time. I mean, that's there's no, no disputing that fact. And it's losing a lot of purchasing power over time. So over over time, we're much better off to exchange our fiat for gold. I can put it at gold money. I can use that. I can I can turn it into currency whenever I want to. Uh, if because I still need to use, I can't take my gold. I can't pay in gold when I go to buy my, you know, pay for a restaurant or something. So. Is that, well, is not, that, yet. Yeah. not yet, Jay, but yeah. that's, that's not the ultimate goal is. So they're, they're, they're trying to get you away, and they've developed a way for you to escape the entire fiat currency regime. Right. So you, you take your fiat currency, exchange it for gold. Now you can move gold around the world seamlessly, instantly. You can pay anybody for a good or service that you want to in gold. Yes. And in exchange, in, in exchange for that good or service. Also, what they want to do and they, they are well on the way to uh, consummating this desire, is have you directly exchange your gold for a good or service with businesses. So mm-hmm. there are businesses already. In fact, they, I know you could, you yes. could, uh, you could uh, go on a yacht tour of the Mediterranean using right. uh, gold money. They accept gold as a payment. And, that, and as more and more companies accept that, mm-hmm. uh, it's almost like they're trying to do with cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. They're, they're allowing you to pay for, price things in gold. You can't really price things in cryptocurrencies right now because it's just too volatile, but gold is much more stable in, in value, so you can, you can price it in gold. And um, you know, right now, as I'm trying to make the distinction that you, you, can, you can exchange your, your cryptocurrencies for a good or service, mm-hmm. but it's not, those, those goods or services aren't priced in Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin. Right. You can, but, but gold money 
and merchants that accept gold money allow you to purchase goods and services with gold in in terms of ounces or grams of gold. Sure. Yeah, and then certainly, you know, those that are in the gold money system now can, uh, you know, can transact business uh, that way right now, gold to gold, essentially, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. So you yeah. can. It's your choice now. Right. Thanks to gold money, yeah. you can now completely escape the fiat currency regime. You don't just have to buy gold and store it and just look at it every once in a while and, you know, continue appreciating the fact that it's going up in value, but you really can't monetize it very easily without, you know, taking your brick or, or your coins or your collection and, and, and liquidating it at unfavorable prices. Uh, you could have your account stored in gold in vaults in Toronto and Zurich and, mm-hmm. and, and real, in New York, all over the world. And when you want to use your gold to spend, you can monetize it instantly using a credit card or you could just move it from another person or business that's on the network. But but you believe eventually that we will be using gold itself and not needing to go into a current fiat currency to to buy things. I mean, we can now, as you say, if you're in the system. And I guess what gold money uh, is is very you know is setting out to do is to get more and more people into that system outside of the fiat system, right? Absolutely, and there'll be a you and a cry for this to occur after the next. The recession slash depression commences well, because I, then people understand that there is no once they go for the once the asset prices collapse and they realize they ha- now have no escaping the banking system because they're going to impose negative interest rates on your deposits and once they realize there's universal basic income and they'll circumvent the banking banking system the the the, the primary dealers by directly monetizing treasury debt. And they'll they'll also have things called helicopter money where they directly send money around the banking system directly to U.S. citizens and citizens around the world, central banks directly monetizing debt. These things are going to engender incredible inflation. Incredible. And it will necessitate you getting out of the fiat currency regime and you'll you'll be clamoring to buy uh, gold and – having a method of conducting commerce with it, utilizing companies such as gold money. I have no doubt about that, but I also believe that there will be some uh, kickback from the governments. There will be some some response from governments uh, as well. So I guess we'll have to Mm -hmm. see how that plays out. But certainly people that are wise enough, people that listen to what you're telling them, what I'm telling them, Ron Paul and other Austrians are telling them, take the fiat currency while it still has some purchasing power left and use it to buy gold now because we know gold and silver too uh, will retain value for sure longer longer term. Uh, Michael, just uh, we have to wrap it up now, but just so what are you suggesting to your to your listeners, to people that that pay attention to you? Uh, buy gold. I know that's the first thing you'll probably say. Physical gold, ideally, more than paper gold, I suppose, right? Of course. So the, it, taking physical possession of your gold is, is par- of paramount importance. But, you know, people who agree like, like uh, okay, I'll give you an example, Jay. European junk bonds yield less than U.S. 10-year notes at this time. <laughs> this is one of the examples of how distorted yes. central bankers have, have, have pushed the interest rate spectrum. So this, when, this collapse, when this collapses, it's going to end very badly, but it's how it collapses and what to buy and at what time. So first you get the deflation, 
That's why uh, right now I'm about 10% of the portfolio, the inflation deflation portfolios in gold. You know, I don't just sit here and say short the stock market and buy gold and hold lots of cash. I mean, that's a doomsday scenario that doesn't really work very well in the last past few years. Mm -hmm. So that's why I created this model. What if you had a model that looked at, at, at looked at ISM surveys, that looked at yield spreads, that looked at the junk spreads, that looked at uh, the CRB index. These are, I have 10 components to my model. It lets me know where we are in that inflation deflation spectrum. So I know, well, let's, let's buy dividend stocks now, have some gold as a hedge, uh, own aerospace and defense stocks right now because of that threat we have North, with North Korea. And then after the recession commences, and we get UBI, universal basic income, and helicopter money, and, and ZERP, and NERP, negative mm-hmm. interest rate policies, then you want to overweight gold. So if you can slide along that scale between inflation and deflation, you'll do much better in your portfolio if you can get the timing right, and I'm pretty confident I can do that. Fascinating, Michael. Really, really fascinating. I want to thank you so much for spending the time with us today and introducing your your services and your thought process to our listeners. I, I really think people should definitely um, visit your website, learn to know more about what you do, uh, pentoport.com. Um, and uh, I hope we can talk to you again sometime as, as we slide along this uh, this uh, 2018, and it should be a very interesting, perhaps very challenging year, but if you're ready, you can turn negatives into positives. I, I think that's what you seek to do with your work. So thank you so much, Michael, for being with us, and we'll, we'll look to uh, do it again sometime uh, in the future if you're willing and able. Thanks so much for having me on, Jay. You're welcome. Well, folks, that is all we have time for this week. Next week, um, as we head into 2018, Michael Oliver will be with me to talk about the markets uh, that he is uh, both bullish and bearish on in 2018. And my good friend Jeff Deist will interview Dr. Lillian Stern, who will draw from her experience in the old Soviet Union to warn millennials about the dangers of socialism. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.